Headline Hollywood. Entertainment cronies and cinema elitists hand out awards for excellence in moving pictures. Sometimes the winners don't hold up to the test of time, so we're here in the future to tell them how they got it wrong. This is Switch the Envelope. Welcome to Switch the Envelope, the podcast that aims at rewriting Hollywood history. My name is Corey. And my name is Jeff. How you doing, Jeff? I am super excited, Corey. Why are you excited tonight, Jeff? Well, I'm always excited when we have a fantastic guest. I'm ecstatic, Corey, about our guest. <laughs> you are our, positively exuberant. I'm exuberant because our <laughs> guest comes to us from outside of the USA. Oh, that's right. We wanted to talk about fan theories tonight, and we found the ultimate fan theory uh, guest tonight, somebody who has proved a fan theory, and that is the witty cartoon penguin from the YouTube channel, youtube.com, Pentex Productions. Please, Switches, give it up for Pentex, the penguin. <laughs> hey, guys, it's great to be here. Not technically a penguin. <laughs> yeah. Now, Pentex, why don't you tell everybody where you're coming from, where you're broadcasting to us from? Yes, I'm coming to you guys from uh, Auckland in New Zealand. So coming to you from down under. Oh, the only country in the world to properly handle the pandemic. Congratulations to you, <laughs> sir. <laughs> yeah, being an island with a giant moat is uh, it's helpful. It's helpful sometimes. <laughs> it does come in handy when there's a global pandemic on <laughs> happening. Yes, absolutely. Well, we are super excited to have you on, on the show. You did a video sort of in honor of the 25th anniversary of the movie The Rock, right? In which you proved that The Rock was indeed a James Bond film. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, I, I just checked the video now and it's had something like 340,000 views in about two weeks, which is just kind of crazy because, I mean, the, the, the next biggest video on my channel before that one went up had about, you know, 250 so that's just kind of came out of nowhere but yeah this, i mean the rock came out 25 years ago and almost since it came out like people have been saying oh sean connery's character is is james bond like he's an old an old version of that same character and um that was kind of as far into the theory as anyone really went um and i, I was a huge james bond fan growing up of course and uh i grew up with the rock as well and it kind of frustrated me that no one had actually ever looked at it in any sort of detail. And I went online and I found all these articles written about it and they were just really surface level. So I was like, okay, let's, let's watch the James Bond movies with Sean Connery. Let's watch the rock. Let's put it together. Let's, you know, 25 years later, let's just put this out once and for all. So you did a full movie marathon. Just yeah, that's right. <laughs> notebook six, out. Six, <laughs> notebook out. Yeah, the six, the six Connery movies, and uh, and The Rock uh, all together. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was it was a bit of research, and then trying to tie it into kind of the world history as well that was going on at the time. Um, so yeah, fair amount of research went into it, but um, you know, I'm a I'm a huge fan of the James Bond series. I like The Rock. I loved this theory and the idea of it. And I think it was time that someone, you know, put the work in and finally proved it. Well, let's uh, break let's break some things down real quick for any listeners that aren't familiar with like fan theories. Let us know like what's a typical fan theory or what is a fan theory, so that we can kind of tell any listeners out there that aren't really familiar with fan theory. 
I guess fan theory is um, it's when something isn't explicitly acknowledged or explained in a particular movie or TV show or whatever, but the fans really seize on a, on an idea and uh, come up with an explanation of their own that they think works in the universe of that um, of that story. Uh, and they and they pull it together. And sometimes it ends up being acknowledged officially. Other times it, it isn't. Um, this one hasn't <laughs> been acknowledged officially, of course. <laughs> I think there's some rights issues. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I think that, that's where the fan theories come from. Sometimes they explain, they're used to explain plot holes. Other times they're just like this. It's just people liking a movie and they want to have fun with the story. And so they come up with their own narrative around it that um, hopefully makes it more enjoyable. Yeah, it's, it's sort of an offshoot of like fan fiction in a way, except instead of like trying to extend the story with like, you know, fan written sequels or prequels, uh, they're trying to sort of flush out the environment that already exists within a particular film or film series, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that that's kind of where the rock idea comes from. Everyone saw Sean Connery playing this ex-British special forces spy person and they're like hmm Sean Connery's done something that sounds like that before <laughs> um, <laughs> where have we seen this before <laughs> yeah that looks that looks familiar so I I think too that there there's enough in the script or in the movie to suggest that the filmmakers while they weren't necessarily intent on making him bond they were very much referencing the fact that he played Bond in a lot of the lines that that he delivers and the setup for his character in general. Like, there's no real denying that. That like they kind of set the seeds for this fan theory to exist. Yeah, they were winking to the audience very hard, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think so, and I think that's why the fan theory came around in the first place. Like they, and and some of the kind of behind the scenes stuff. Like initially, they couldn't really get Sean Connery on board for the movie, and then he actually brought on some some friends of his to rework the script intentionally to make the character more kind of James Bond like. Um, and that's what got him on board with, with the rock. Um, so yeah, I definitely think they, they knew there was the connection there. I mean, if you've got Sean Connery in your movie, he's always going to have that James Bond connection. Um, and then if you're going to make him play an, an ex British spy, it's like, okay, it, it writes itself. I mean, he even said like, uh, in an interview or there's a, a pull quote of some sort that I saw online where he mentioned that like he gets to play like I get to play James Bond without having to be called James Bond so like yeah he he was essentially doing the same thing right like he he wasn't trying not to be Bond <laughs> you know yeah I think he enjoyed playing the slightly rougher rougher edge to it like in some of the comments on the video have been things like oh like james bond would never swear and stuff like this and it's like guys he's been in a an american prison for 20 years like right. he's he's roughened up a bit and i think sean connery would have really enjoyed playing that kind of harder edge version of the character before we talk about the rock and your theory and your fan theory about The Rock, I think we should kind of, because the movie is 25 years old, there are some people out there that have probably not seen it, unfortunately, because it is a fantastic film. Oh, one of Nicolas Cage's best. We should probably go over, I like Nicolas Cage, okay? I'm probably one of the three of us. I'm probably the only one that likes Nicolas Cage. I love Nicolas Cage. I was so Liar. excited. I was, hate no, Face Off. You hate I hate Face, face off. off because it's a bad movie. It is not a bad movie. It's You're just, a bad movie. <laughs> 
I am. I am a bad movie. <laughs> but getting back to The Rock, The Rock is about a pissed off general who steals VX gas and oh, takes green it to Green balls of slime. Yeah, this green ball of gas chemical gas, chemical, a chemical weapon. And he takes it to where anyone would take it, which is uh, Alcatraz. And he um, takes hostages. And then Nicolas Cage is going to help the FBI to and not defuse it, but get themselves out of the situation because he's the expert on the VX gas. I'll let you guys take it from there. I would say that Nicolas Cage in the parallels to Bond films represents a Bond girl in this film. I would say Q. because he's No, the, no, no, no. The, I, no, I, the I scientist. See, I see what you're saying with the science, uh, but I'm, I'm saying like, if you look at like the unlikely expert Save your analysis until later. We're just talking about what The Rock is. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. You're saying he's very Denise Richards take, in that. Will you just take just go over what The Rock is? Yeah. That, I mean, you, you pretty much said it. Like, they, Sean Connery is is a convict who has escaped from Alcatraz before in the early 60s. And so then gets enlisted by the U.S. government to break into, the, to reverse escape Alcatraz in order to thwart uh, General Hummel Hummel's uh, yeah. plan to launch a warhead into San Francisco. Uh, I, I don't I, warheads filled with VX gas. Yeah, but he also has hostages. I, I don't like the his plan is a little convoluted. But you know, what's really movies. weird is we're explaining this movie and we have the guy on here who did a deep dive expert. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. take it away. Here you go. <laughs> No, no, you nailed it. That's that's what it's about. I mean, it's it's a Michael Bay movie, so the logic of the story doesn't really have to make sense too much. But it's 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 one of the early Bay movies, and it's it's one of the ones that's that's really good. And it's still, um, you know, it's his pre-Transformers stuff. But uh, no, you summed it up. That's that's the plot of the movie, and it's great. If you haven't seen it, um, go watch The Rock. Like it's twenty-five years old, but it it holds up. Like it could have been made yesterday. It's Absolutely. a great movie. I actually love this movie. I do too. <laughs> I don't. Like even like watching your stuff when you'd point out things that I'd go, oh yeah, because you pointed out one something. There's something you pointed out in the movie, and I was like, oh, how the microfilm has 1963 being the JFK assassination. He had to have planted it after that date. I as I was watching that, I was like, I think you just stumbled upon something that was just a mistake because I don't think that, that, that anybody brought, realized that. <laughs> that brought out quite a lot of like JFK truthers. Um, which I wasn't quite prepared for when I put this video <laughs> online. Um, but, uh, you know, that I think that's a topic of another podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, a JFK truther? Like, he wasn't like, what? Yeah, so, like, there are all these people who are like, oh, well, if it was premeditated, then the microfilm could have existed. Like, they could have been planning this for years in advance. And, oh, like, I this wasn't, oh, just, you know, this wasn't okay. just one or two people. This wasn't just one or two people. This was, like, like, a decent chunk of comments all made that that point that they were like, no, the CIA had been planning this for years. Like, <laughs> and they laid out all this evidence, and I was like, okay, like that's it's the movies. Yeah, it, it it crossed the threshold from fan theory to conspiracy theory, and that's where you just just walk away. Like, don't even touch it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I just ignored those and just left them there. But yeah, yeah, just yeah. just stay in the fictional world. It's a lot safer here. <laughs> <laughs> If anybody hasn't seen The Rock, you need to go out and watch it. Just pause this episode right now. Go watch The Rock and then, and come, then back. come back. But The Rock is is a fantastic movie. It's really, really just fun. Um, it, it fits into those 90s movies with Nicolas Cage that were all just really lots of stuff blowing up and shooting and fun. I think Face Off fits into that, Corey. Peak Cage. Absolutely. It's where 
Nicolas Cage was um, doing a lot of stuff that was fun and exciting and not sad yet. It wasn't straight to Netflix movies that he does like now. Although some of those still fit those formulas and are fun to watch. Yeah. So what we're going to do right now, take a small break. um, And then when we come back, we're going to do our deep dive into this fan theory and kind of break it apart. All right. And we'll be right back. And we're back. Pentex <laughs> talking about The Rock as a James Bond film. You did an incredible deep dive and went over. I mean, you left like no stone unturned, although there are a few things that we want to bring up. <laughs> yeah, we have a we have a couple things we got to go over. But you know yeah. what? I will say, man, this was no joke. One of the most entertaining fan theory like deep dives I've ever seen. It was so good. Uh, thanks, guys. So good job, man. Even if you don't necessarily like subscribe to the fan theory itself, the the way it's presented to is so entertaining and so thoughtful that the, your video, it, it's no surprise to me that your video is, is start, starting to take off. And if you have not seen The Rock, go see The Rock. And if you haven't seen Pentex's video, go to youtube.com right now, uh, forward slash Pentex Productions. And it'll probably be the first video that will show up for you. The Rock as a James Bond film, definitively that The Rock is a James Bond film. And go go watch that because it is, it is an outstanding sort of uh, dissection of this fan theory. And I would say confirmed you did prove it <laughs> thanks guys yeah it's i think one of the reasons that it resonated was because so many people really love james bond and so many people really love the rock um and it's just something that yeah even if you don't subscribe to it it's a fun theory and it just makes your enjoyment of both of those movies that you already love even better because all of a sudden it's so lots of people were saying they're like i've you know i've loved the rock for 25 years and i just re-watched it last night with this in mind and it was like watching it for the first time so it, i think it let people kind of rediscover this movie they've loved for a long time and look at it in a completely new light even if you don't you know agree with everything yeah absolutely i mean not even just the rock right like uh going back and re-watching some of those old bond films and trying to like connect it back you know uh up to 1996's you know uh the rock it it is it it is a, a fun fan experience for sure, but let's get into it. Let's get into that fan theory. Let's massage it a little bit. First off, the big... Wait, wait first we want to say, we really do like it, so we don't want to think we're blowing holes in your theory here. Oh, but, no, but nothing we, Nothing that we have to, quibbles with will actually but, blow any holes in it. But we had we had to do a deep dive here just to, just to be able to stand our own with you here. So, you know. <laughs> no, look, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. And look, the... Um, you said I left no stone unturned. There were actually other things I wanted to put in the video, but they just oh. didn't work. Then we're um, ready. We're yeah, ready. Let's go. Bring them up. It was already let's 20 work. minutes long. And, and oh. so uh, let's, uh, I'm interested <laughs> to see what you guys talk about. Uh, and uh, I'll see if I've got a response for it. <laughs> All right. So first off, it's the, the, um, the big thing that sort of set off this fan theory in the first place. And, and that is the name issue, right? That, uh, the the parallel fan theory, I should say, 
that James Bond is a code name. You throw that out altogether. Yeah, that's right. So this is this is one of the the, the way in which it's contextualized usually is that like James Bond is a code name and that's why you have multiple actors playing James Bond. Like it's like 007, it's a code name. Um, and then that explains why Sean Connery is called John Mason and The Rock. Um, this is this is one of those theories that, you know, Bond fans get quite polarized about, um, but I, I really don't subscribe to the James Bond as a code name idea. Um, they, they all, you know, the movies have always established in lots of different ways that James Bond is the, is the character's real name. And for me at least, and this is one of the great things about Bond fandom is you can, it's, it's been going for so long, you can kind of pick and choose how you interpret it. But for me, <laughs> I see like each actor as being their own period of continuity. So in the same way we've had like three Peter Parker Spider-Mans and three Bruce Waynes, like the character of Bruce Wayne or Batman has the same backstory, regardless of which actor is playing him on film. And so for me, it's the same James Bond. So Sean Connery's James Bond and his movies, that's his interpretation of the character. Roger Moore is playing the same character, James Bond, but not the same person as Sean Connery was, if that makes sense. So um, we're, we're in a multiverse kind situation. of the, the idea. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So in the same way you've got Tom Holland playing Spider-Man now in the Marvel movies, you know, his character, the Uncle Ben died and then he got bitten by a spider and all of that. That's part of Peter Parker's backstory. But Tom Holland isn't playing the same person as like Tobey Maguire in all the movies and like the Sam Raimi movies. Um, they're the same character, but not the same person. So that's my that's my kind of premise that I explained in the video in, in a bit more detail. But John Mason is the character in, in The Rock, and that's the code name that he is using. John uh, James Bond is his real name. Right, and, and that, that explains why in The Rock, uh, British intelligence doesn't have a record of him, uh, the American intelligence doesn't have a record of him, because that is the alias. Absolutely. It makes sense. And I, I always when I was younger, like as a kid watching them with, with my dad, and, and when I, the Bond film specifically, um, was of the opinion that uh yeah james bond was the code name whatever i've i've now come completely around on that theory to exactly what you just laid out that like it's sort of a different continuity but the same person and his name is james bond and he is recruited to mi6 to become part of a special agent you know um the team you know whatever uh, that i think we should be able to say is really what's going on like there's really no strong argument against that in my book i don't know jeff how, how do you feel no i agree i think that the best evidence for this is when you say that james bond's wife dies and mm -hmm. the wife's last name is bond <laughs> you, your wife wouldn't take your code name code name like that's <laughs> yeah i mean that's, like that's commitment that's... but yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so that's the premise of the video because james bond uses fake names in in heaps in the movies um, and he tends to have like a fake passport in that name or whatever. And so the idea with this is when he gets captured by the Americans and chucked in Alcatraz, he's like, oh, my name's, you know, John Mason. He's keeping his real identity and the fact that he's a British spy secret um, for obvious reasons. So that's the that's the premise of the of the fan theory. Yeah. And I, I like that you sort of uh, threw out the base, like the original basis for the fan theory where they're like, oh, it's a code name. <laughs> You're just like, I reject that completely. <laughs> this is this is yeah. actually what's going on and it still works 
yeah, I had I had to make it, I had to make it work. And uh, any opportunity to to argue about the James Bond as a codename theory is, uh, yeah, is I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, you, you settled two fan theories in one video. It's quite amazing. <laughs> I do have a couple of issues with the theory, but I want to see how you, if I can challenge you on them, see how you see how you do with them. Well, I, I what I think is interesting is you you put him in the prison in July of 1962. In July of 1962, the most successful escape out of Alcatraz actually happens, right? right so he got some inspiration, maybe. Exactly, or he saw like ways to improve their system, right? And perhaps his escape isn't documented because he's not a known person. There's no background on him. He is an invisible person that they have in Alcatraz that nobody can trace back to an actual, you know, human being. So he escapes. Ah, well, he never existed in the first place. Uh, you know, maybe maybe we don't talk about it, kind of a thing. Okay, would you indulge me on one point here? The fact that Naval Yard picks him up, or the Navy picks him up. Navy had stopped using Alcatraz in 1933 Ooh. as a base. Ooh. Or as a prison. The prison was... In 1933, they stopped using that and they moved over to, I think, like Leavenworth or something. Mm -hmm. So they weren't using that anymore. So if he was picked up, he would not have gone to Alcatraz. Now, I, I see this as actually a more, more of an issue with the movie itself. Because if he is picked up and he is gone and, and he's brought to like an early Guantanamo-style prison, he's not going to Alcatraz because the military doesn't use that prison anymore. So in mm. 1963, so, yeah, he would have used a different. They would have used a different prison. So yeah, and I mean, he was he was picked in my narrative. He was picked up in like Jamaica, which is on the other side of yeah. The, that's yeah. also yeah. I was like, wait, anyway. So wh I was where like, he, he would go to Florida? We got to have some, some creative license here. Um, yeah, in some way. But what kind of people were being put in Alcatraz in in the 60s? Was it just like criminals, or I mean, what kind of people? It was repeat offenders, basically. That very big uh, escape, which is Frank Morris and the England Brothers, those guys were repeat offenders who were like bank robbers and like uh, basically guys who were supposed to be going into the federal penitentiary and they were they were constantly escaping. So they thought putting them in Alcatraz would stop them from escaping. High risk and prisoners, yeah. Because it was supposed to be inescapable, right? <laughs> yeah, at, yeah, at well, risk. I mean, prisoners. I think with the... Yeah, I mean, with the and with those those sorts of things, it's like where there was a conflict between the real world history and continuity established in the movie itself. I obviously had to go with the movie uh, universe yeah. and and timeline. Um, but uh, no, that's that's fascinating. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm from New Zealand, so I know about Alcatraz, but I, I'm not <laughs> quite as invested in it as I think some some people are. <laughs> I saw that as I saw that as more as something that there was a fault in the like and michael that's michael said, bay's fault like what Corey and i said it was like a well because movies yeah, exactly. you know like you know yeah, why would he be sure. in alcatraz in the in the 1960s well because movies you know like why would he escape from the alcatraz in 1962 or 1963 well why would the hell would, he, would they put a military prison there you know yeah exactly uh, the the one thing that that i have is the plausibility of being able to actually escape across the bay in january so most of the escape attempts happen throughout the history of Alcatraz happened sort of summer, late summer, midsummer, right? The only one to happen in winter time uh, was the very last one in December. The two guys that broke out uh, of a kitchen window, I think, and then swam uh, as far as they could. And one guy made it to a nearby rock 
And the other guy actually made it to the Golden Gate Bridge. But by the time he got to the Golden Gate Bridge, he was suffering from severe hypothermia. And luckily, he was found by a couple of teenagers that ended up sort of saving his life because they found him and they got him, you know, warmed up and then transferred back to Alcatraz. So like, <laughs> but for James Bond to swim all the way to San Francisco without succumbing to hypothermia is highly unlikely. But yeah. I- uh, I can be on your side on this. Can I be on this side on your side with this? Go ahead. Go ahead. There are, there are no Take sides. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be on his side with this. All right. All right. All right. Okay. So San Francisco every year does a swim from Alcatraz. Mm. Yeah. Where, it's the escape from Alcatraz uh, yeah, triathlon or whatever. Hundreds, hundreds of people like yeah. go on the Island and they will swim that channel mm-hmm. just to, just to make it. Sure. And also they have another one where they do where everybody does the escape with the Frank Morris escape where oh, they actually have a, that's the one I was thinking of the, the triathlon. Yeah. Escape, they have the, yeah. the escape where they actually build a boat out of the mm. whatever. And everybody makes it. They, they swim that every year. So if they, those people can do it and James Bond would be in fucking peak shape. Sure. Right. He's James Bond. Right. Yeah. So he'd be able to do that. He'd be able to do that. No problem. But like peak physical shape. He was just in peak physical shape. He was just with a chick in a boat. Near freezing. Like making out. (laughs) He was all like laying out and he's all good. Yeah. He He was just in Russia. He was in love. Well, he's about to go to Russia. Oh, he's about to go to Russia. Russia. (laughs) But if you, yeah, I mean, so yeah, I mean, so people, people can swim the bay. Um, James Bond's in good shape. He's a Navy guy, so he can swim. And on the temperature, I mean, he's Scottish. So I think they're immune to the, to the cold. You know, and I did not consider that he's from a region where those waters are frigid. He probably has a shower in that sort of temperature. It's probably just normal for him. Well, I doubt they had hot water on Alcatraz. Actually, they gave specifically <laughs> hot water to all the inmates so they would not get oh, used so they to couldn't the acclimate. Oh. They were the only prison in the entire prison system that had hot water. Whoa, that's a mind fuck. Yeah. <laughs> this is why people subscribe to the movie podcast for free Alcatraz facts as well. Yeah, it's all Alcatraz all the time here on Switch the Envelope. Um, all right. Yeah, okay. All right. So I'm 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 satisfied with, with that. Yeah, he's Scottish and uh a he's, naval officer. He's, so he's used to going in the locks every year. He can, he every, can swim in cold water. Yeah. Winter. I I'll I'll take it. I mean, the fact that a guy made it to San Francisco in general by swimming, um, that was the first time they realized that that feat could even be done. That's probably what inspired the, you know, the swim that takes place every year now. Although I doubt that they do it in December. What inspired it, I think, is just the fact that nobody's ever found Frank Morris and the Anglin brothers because they built a raft, right? They built rafts out of um, jackets, the rain jackets. Mm. They rubber cemented them together and blew them up. They were really crafty, those guys. Yeah. I think they had a little too much time on their hands. They like, gave them too many freedoms. It was like an art, a whole art class that they that they were doing. We're making paper mache heads and we're making, you know, uh, they also did paper uniforms. Paper mache, and, uh, they made a paper mache like vent. Yeah. It's <sighs> all arts crazy. and crafts. You know, Bond did the same thing. Man. Absolutely. Although he's, he's shown in, in your video James uh, May- from Dr. No uh, climbing through vents and stuff. So he... He was just finding whatever, although they do sort of detail out exactly how uh, John Mason got in because they reverse it. And one of the things that I have an issue with, with the rocket in general, is that underground furnace 
fan thing that they have to get past that is still functional. Yeah. So what What's weird about that prison. is is he he he's like, oh, I memorized the the sequence of the the flames. Yeah. And so he reverses that and rolls through to get to the other side to open the door to let everyone in. And it's like if he was escaping, he'd have been on that side of the door already. So why didn't he open the door and walk first through time. when he was escaping rather than go through the furnace? <laughs> if that door can be opened from the inside, that's a, that's, a, that's, that's a floor in the rock, I think. Because movies. Because movies. Oh, my God. I didn't even consider. I never noticed that, that that's he opens awesome. it from the inside where he would have been in Oh, my God. He would never have had to go through the. No, the flames would have been a complete non-issue. That's hilarious. Oh my god. I mean that that's movie's... a that's an awesome scene, but um yeah, that's a that's a hole in it. So sorry if I just ruined the movie for you. <laughs> no, dude, you no. made it better and now I love it. Yeah, that will be a scene I laugh at forever now. Every time I see that movie when he says welcome to the rock, I'll be like, Yeah, did you say that the last time you didn't go through that door? <laughs> Thanks for visiting the rock as he left. <laughs> no, he didn't. I, I actually think maybe maybe you Maybe one of the reasons he's so bitter is because he spent 20 years in prison thinking about, he's like, I could have just opened the door. Yeah. Memorize the time. Like, was there a door? The door? I think there was a door there. <laughs> Pretty sure I can, if I can just, and he, he just spins a yarn about memorizing these flame patterns because he knows that if he can just get inside, he can open that door. <laughs> I feel like, like, did nobody and, check for and, that other entrance? And you've been, you've been, I've heard you say this before, and you've been ruminating on that furnace thing that whole time. Oh, and you've never noticed that he could just open I, the it door. It just got blown completely to bits. <laughs> my, my one grief about, about the rock is this flame thing that somehow is still working uh, after the, you know, the prison has gone defunct for 30 years um, that he, he has Maybe somehow remembered American. exactly to the fine detail that timing. But it gets blown away completely by Pentex. Here. Well, the Native like, American the occupation. The it was completely irrelevant. There was Native American occupation. Maybe they turned it back on. No, oh, maybe. I, I don't know. Or maybe a gen, a Brigadier General uh, Hummel he wanted turned some, it back on. He wants some heat. I need hot showers. Like, hey, I know yeah. this prison has hot showers. Let's turn on the furnace. <laughs> I need to warm up Dr. Cox from Scrubs. So the other point of not contention, but like uh, interest. I'm out, by the way. I'm, that was all my point. No, 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 no. I'm going to bring you right back in, Jeff, is Hummel himself, right? In in the video, you refer to him as a major, an army major. He yes. is indeed in the film, refers to himself as Brigadier General Hummel, uh, which is two ranks Hummel. above major. And he is not in the U.S. Army. He is a Marine, which is a subset of our Navy. So yeah, the so line. That's, that's, yeah. Oh, carry go, go on. Ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, sorry. The 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 army marine thing. That's just me and my ignorance about the U.S. military, um, which I'll fully accept as a as a error I made. Um, and the major stuff. It's um, when he was in Vietnam, he was a major, ah. and that was one of the lines in the movie. But yeah, he's a brigadier general, whatever it is. By the time the movie takes place, but yeah, and. When they're talking about Hummel's backstory, they say, this is him in Vietnam. I think he was a major at the time. So when they talk about him as a major, that was when he was in the Vietnam War. Um, but yes, he's Marine, not Army. That's my bad. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not sure if the same sort of 10-year marker to become a major in the, in the Marines is the same as what it is in the Army. And they have very different hierarchical structures for how, how you move up rank. 
Um, I, I wouldn't know that even. <laughs> I wouldn't even begin to say that I, that you know any any of that would be accurate. But I will say I think the I know you said in the end of your video you said that um, that was a stretch the ending part the seeing the paper of. Um, See the paper of uh, recognizing him as recognizing this fallen him. sailor. Yeah. You you had you had acknowledged you said this is kind of a stretch, but actually I thought it was really like super inventive. Oh, Good thanks. Job. Yeah, I mean, I I had to end with something slightly far fetched because if there's one thing that characterizes James Bond movies, and if there's one thing that characterizes Michael Bay movies, it's slightly ridiculous things. Um, yeah. And I was like, you know what? Let's just let's just tie it off with something a bit a bit outrageous. I mean, the, the logic is just as sound as any of the other uh, continuity or research that they put into <laughs> the rock itself. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe even more so because it you're, you're dealing in like actualities that you can pull from the, the movies them, themselves where they were just like, I don't know, you know, this this part of history and flames when the door could be open on the inside, you know. Well, and I mean, we're supposed to believe that Nicolas Cage has a PhD in chemistry, and I'm not sure of that. <laughs> That's a bit of a stretch, I think, as well. This is why I'm saying he's he's the Denise Richards, you know, Dr. Christmas, where she's like a, a nuclear physicist or something like that in the Pierce Brosnan yeah. movie. I forget which Pierce Brosnan, the second one, maybe. Um, yeah. Third, and you're just one. like, really? Um, <laughs> yeah. And I going back to that, uh, to the start, he's definitely, Nick Cage is definitely the, the Bond girl. Um, and the clue is... Yeah. One, he he's the one who comes along with Bond. Q Q's there at the start and then vanishes. The Bond girl goes with him on the mission. And the other one is just his name. Like Stanley Goodspeed is a male <laughs> Bond, Bond name, name, if I've ever heard it. Like <laughs> if there's Absolutely. such a thing as that. See, <laughs> see, I was gonna say, like, this is the one thing that this movie doesn't have is a Bond girl. I know even no, if Nick even if Nick Cage Nicholas is playing Cage. the Bond girl, yeah. It really doesn't have a Bond girl. Like it's still missing that. It's got to have some Bond girl. Come well, on. Well, I mean, there, there is. Um, there's the daughter there's and the Nicholas daughter. Cage's wife, but they aren't Bond girls. No, they're they're not. They're not. They don't fit the mold. Nicholas Cage to me fits more of the mold. He's Except the, that he's not a girl. <laughs> yes, he's. But he does like finish. It's not like they were doing. He woke. finishes the adventure. It's not like they're doing woke Bond. Like this isn't like. No, 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 no. I mean, there, it's, yeah, there's no. Same. They removed the romance at well, if you could call it romance in a Bond film, but the yeah. uh, the sexual tension, I should say. Yeah, uh, I mean, from in it. Sky in Skyfall, like the latest Daniel Craig one, there, there's Bond girls that he like sleeps with and stuff. But the the Bond girl character in that is M actually, like his main relationship uh -huh. in the movie is M, and that's a platonic relationship. So I think you could make his his daughter the kind of platonic female lead. Um, even if she doesn't play the role of the Bond girl in the movie, um, that's what Nicolas Cage does for the for the plot. But for the character, it can be his daughter, and maybe that's just because he's, you know, however old, old Sean Connery was when. Of course, <laughs> they did of course, Sean Connery. Wait, what was the one he did with uh, Entrapment? The Entrapment. Yeah. Entrapment. Same. I think it was like really close to the same year, a couple of years later, and he was with Catherine Zeta Jones. Yeah, you know, I mean, seventy-year-old uh, Sean Connery with a uh, twenty-nine-year-old yeah, Catherine Zeta-Jones at the time. I think that was gross. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's very much uh, in the old Hollywood uh, trope. Well, she of was going out old with, guy. She young, was married young, to Michael young, Douglas engineer. at the time, so yeah, that's true. Uh, anyway. But the, yeah, like Nicolas Cage kind of fits both the Bond girl for me and the Felix CIA character to me as well, where he's the companion to Bond that sort of. You know, helps him out through through the adventure. Even though the movie itself is kind of more focused on Nicolas Cage as the hero. You said that you had some other things that you didn't have a chance to say in the YouTube video. 
what what were some of those things like i'm very curious about that yeah what 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 made the editing floor so yeah so probably the biggest one is and it's something i knew i knew bond geeks were gonna talk to me about this in the comments um so i wish i'd just put it in even if it would have affected the flow but when his daughter when he's talking to his daughter in the rock she's like oh you met my mother after a led zeppelin concert and you know you had a one-night stand and that's where i came from and everyone was like, James Bond would never go to a Led Zeppelin concert. That's exactly what I thought, in, but I didn't know. Yeah, he went to a bar the, after a Led Zeppelin concert. Exactly. So, because, yeah, in, in one of the movies, Bond is like, oh, he, you know, he says he doesn't like the Beatles and stuff. So, but yeah, the line of the movie is they met in a bar after a Led Zeppelin concert. So the mother was at the Led Zeppelin concert. James Bond was in the bar picking up women, which is the sort of thing James Bond would do. So absolutely, I did think about like specifically acknowledging that and be like, I know I'm going to get called up about this, but it just didn't flow. Um, yeah, was, even yeah. if you had, if you had definitively said that, no, 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 it's the bar after. Yeah. People still would have been like, but she wouldn't have gone after him. <laughs> it was, it was something that, uh, that just uh, the number of comments I saw. And it was, I think the main thing was because they, they reference a specific Bond movie. Um, as if I hadn't seen it and <laughs> and they're like, Oh, but he says this. And I was, and, and there's, there's one or two other things where people kind of misunderstood my New Zealand accent and stuff. And they, they're talking about all these things. And I like, what it's like, did you, did you, Oh, so like at the start, I say, this is the character who defeated Blofeld and Goldfinger, like the two things, but lots of people mm-hmm. heard that to be who defeated Blofeld in Goldfinger, like oh. implying Blofeld was the villain in the movie Goldfinger. Um, which isn't what I said, but as the accent picked it up and lots of people were like, Oh, he didn't defeat Blofeld in Goldfinger. It's like, did, did you watch this video and come away from it? And your number one takeaway was that I haven't seen Goldfinger, like, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but <laughs> just think, you watched 20 minutes um, and got that. Yeah. Is there anything else that you, um, that you had in that, that you didn't have a chance to do with the uh, YouTube? Uh, I mean, that was, that was the main one. Um, there's, there's a couple of other little things like, um, and again, it all kind of comes around the mother storyline, which it was, it was just getting a bit convoluted and stuff anyway. Um, like, like the line you just said before, when the feds kicked down the door, um, and then early, but earlier in the movie, it says he was captured at the Canadian border, Um, but they do actually explain that in the rock because in the rock, they actually say he escaped from two maximum security prisons. So, after he escaped Alcatraz, he actually does escape again sometime in the 70s. And so it was like after he gets captured the second time at the Canadian border, he escapes, goes back, finds the mother and the daughter, tries to make amends. That's when the feds come. And that's how his daughter knows who he is. That's how. That's why he decides to go with the mother. That explains that line. But again, just working that into the movie, into the video, like it was already 20 minutes long. Um, and it's kind of a throwaway line that kind of is explained in the rock itself anyway. So I figured I didn't really need to, to talk about that because it's not really related to the James Bond theory. It's just the rock's own yeah. continuity. Um, that's, those are probably the main, the main two things I decided just not to, to put in the video. Yeah. Well, I think you made a fantastic video. I really do. I think that it was a really fun fan theory to watch. First of all, I don't think you had very many holes in your theory. I thought they were all pretty, pretty good. It's pretty sound. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think it all was really great. So I completely, uh, completely agree. And honestly, we've only scratched sort of the surface 
of of the the video and everything that you put in into the video. So I, I urge uh, everybody listening right now to go to youtube.com forward slash Pentex Productions and watch the video and get the full scope of everything that that uh, you covered there. And thanks for uh, thanks for battling the the theory with us. So I hope, like I said, I hope we don't you don't think we were too hard on it with with you because you know I didn't I don't want you to think we're a, a verbal version of your of your YouTube <laughs> feed of your YouTube comment. No, not not at all. I really enjoy it because it's like you know any theory, if it's strong enough, it should be able to be to withstand criticism and and uh, and debate and questions and stuff. So no, I, I really enjoy it and. Um, I know I complained about the comments a bit, but honestly, like 99% of them were just so supportive and they're just like, this is awesome. Like you've blown my mind. And it's the same with you guys. Like when you got in touch and um, invited me on the show to talk about it because you, you liked the video so much. I mean, it's, it's awesome. The response has just been so positive. Um, and yeah, there's always going to be little quibbles and stuff like that, but I've just been, I've just been blown away by, <laughs> by, uh, how positive everyone's been about it. So uh, yeah, it's it's great to have the chance to talk about it. We're going to take our last little break here and then we will come back. Are you going to stick around for our fan theories? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so sure, we're gonna, if, you, if you'll have me. Yep, we're going to go on our, our second break here and we're going to run a promo. And when we come back, we're going to go over some random fan theories. Maybe they'll inspire another video from Pentex Productions. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, we'll be right back, guys. In an era of glamour and corruption, fear strikes at the heart of the city. One podcast dares to shine a light on the dark mysteries of Hollywood's past. From the case files of the LAPD, Riff Laugh Media presents the Hollywood Dead podcast. Murder, deceit, and all the true crime from Tinseltown. I'm your host and researcher, Vanessa McArdle. And on the next episode, we will start a three-part series looking into the Beverly Hills murder-suicide of Ned Doheny and his personal secretary, Hugh Plunkett. Join us, the Hollywood Dead podcast, coming soon to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are streamed. Welcome back! (laughs) Soft intro every time. Welcome back! Just wish the envelope, the podcast that you didn't leave because we just played a promo. Uh, still, still with us, uh, hanging out in uh, in good form is uh, Pentex from Pentex Productions. Uh, we're gonna get into some more uh, other fan theories. I think we we dug deep enough into The Rock as a James Bond film, but we want to get into some other fan theories here. But let's let's dive into some some other fan theories, and maybe you know we'll inspire a a new Pentex video if uh, any of these spark your interest. All right, the first one here revolves around Back to the Future. Now, this fan theory is sort of a adaptation of a more popular fan theory that Doc Brown is actually suicidal and that he is so distraught over all of his failed inventions that he is actually trying to kill himself and at one point tries to kill Marty as well. The killing Marty thing seems much less likely to me. Doc Brown would take himself out, but he wouldn't invite Marty to to film it. Right? So why does he make Marty stand in front of the car? Right. Okay. So my theory is not that Doc Brown is suicidal, but that Doc Brown, because he has a time machine, is actually utilizing the time machine to prevent the infinite deaths of Marty McFly. 
<clears throat> All right. Is that the is that the theory of the whole thing? I mean, that's that's the setup, right? I think that Doc Brown has played this scenario out a few times and puts Marty in exactly the right position so that he won't be harmed and he'll get the best shot with his with his video camcorder, right? I also think that because so there, there's the whole time theory, time theory thing that like if you go back, then that's the present that you were already. The, or the, excuse me, that that is your present, and that I don't know, it's going to get real timey wimey. I don't need to get into this actually. That the doc, the doc Brown at the beginning of the film uh, that gets shot and dies, quote unquote, that Marty goes back and saves because he gave him the letter, is actually the same Doc Brown that puts on the bulletproof vest and already had it anyway. So he's already that Doc Brown by that time. And Marty's letter is a nice nod that solidifies to Doc Brown in 1955 that Marty is worthy of being his sort of companion through all of all of this. Um, this sort of coincides with the theory that uh, Doc Brown sought out Marty McFly because it's odd that Marty, a 16-year-old kid, would become friends with Doc Brown, a 60-year-old you know, failed inventor, right? But that Doc Brown courted him throughout time to make sure that Marty ended up being his companion because it has to it has to happen because Marty comes back and visits him in 1955. Corey, what? Just thought of this new fan theory. Hmm. Marty, Doc Brown, same person. Bam. Hmm. I'm not sure that that because Doc, sure <laughs> Doc Brown actually from 1888. He actually is Jules Verne. <laughs> He wouldn't live long enough and, to invent the time machine in and the 50s. He lives and he actually invents the time machine just and writes a book about it as Jules Verne. <laughs> the time machine then ends up being Marty McFly. So I don't see him being Marty McFly, but I do see Doc Brown going back in time and actually being Jules Verne. That could be But he would but he had to have a younger self, right? Yeah, young young Doc Brown. But there's no that, reason that why he back, would then choose then to that be young Doc Brown. Is Marty McFly? Pentex, what do you think about this fan theory? I, I I like it. I mean, Marty McFly, like he gets away with some pretty crazy stuff, and I can see there being uh, Doc Brown pulling strings in the background, just putting the putting the skateboard just there, and the you know the pile of excrement that comes out and hits Biff when they're chasing him, and like I can I can see I can see all those all those little funny coincidences. Maybe maybe Doc Brown was behind them, but I I also like the idea that. Marty McFly grows up and becomes Doc Brown. That's Damn I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I, I can't get that. I can't get that out of my head now. I'm gonna I'm gonna think this through. The timelines don't don't line up. I don't know, man. I think you could. I think you could work that through. It's a time like travel why, movie. The timelines can work out. Why See, does a 17 year old, 16 year old kid? How would he? How would he, as a, a teenager, go back or go forward in time? To a time, like, how would he, as a teenager, who when he hasn't even invented time travel, go forward in time to just live out his teenage years? He invents years the flux capacitor in, the in 1955. No, but Marty, okay, right? So, but then, but okay, but Marty is oblivious to time travel until he sees it at the Twin Pines Mall, right? Okay. If if he was, why does Doc was, Brown look Doc the Brown, same in 1955 as he does in 1985? So are are you saying age. are you saying okay are you saying that Marty McFly is Doc Brown in that Marty McFly is born in the what 60s seven no 60s? he would have had to been born like 69 or something Doc like Brown looks like he's in his 50s or 60s in 1950. Right, so okay, f- follow this then if, if I'm if I can 
flesh out your, your, your theory here. So Doc, there's Marty McFly is born, becomes a teenager in the eighties meets Doc Brown. No, you've already lost it. Okay. So in order for this to have worked, Marty McFly would have to be born in like the twenties or the tens, right? Grow up to be Doc Brown. So he would have to time travel as a teenager to the eighties to just be a teenager even though he has a parent, parents and siblings and stuff that would link him to being born. What we don't have See, is would, Doc Brown's yeah. family. Yeah, I, I would say Marty McFly's born, grows up, the events of Back to the Future happens. As an old man, he becomes Doc Brown, realizes he's Doc Brown, he invents the time machine and goes back in time to make sure that the events of his life pa- plan out the yes, way they even better. already and happened. And that's how he has yes. a time-traveling uh, train. Yeah, that's that, why Doc I've never Brown understood. Doesn't have family, and that's I've never understood how you can have a, ta- a time traveling train. But that's because he invented it in the way f- in the future. In the future when he could go back in yes. eighteen and save himself. Yes, absolutely. You know what? We just created a new fan theory, and I think this one's pretty sound. <laughs> but then I it kind of, kind of it kind of fits this. with your theory as it kind of fits with your theory as well because he's old man Doc Brown, and then he needs to go back in time to make sure that him himself survives through all the events of the movie and so he knows what's going to happen he knows where the car's going to go he knows to pull him out of the way he does all that to save himself and there's also multiple times where both of them save each other yeah there's multiple and then there's times where marty saves doc and doc saves marty so they're actually saving each other so self-preservation right you heard it here first i i like this fan theory a lot this is going to (laughs) become the new main back to the future fan theory that marty mcfly is doc brown i love this so much well five minutes ago when i said it you freaking hate it no no no. i i didn't like that doc brown would go forward in time when i said it didn't line up marty mcfly was doc brown you're like no (laughs) the 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 original timeline the the original direction didn't make sense we worked it out now we worked it out yeah we flushed it out and this is sound now it's good absolutely Yeah. yeah Yeah. I'm going to rewatch Back to the Future now and uh... <laughs> <laughs> all three of them. Yeah. All three. <laughs> all right. What's our next uh, fan theory, Jeff? Next fan theory is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the original one, the only one worth watching. The Johnny Depp one doesn't exist. The Johnny Depp one is not in canon. No. So the whole idea of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is that this is a man who is <clears throat> putting out golden tickets for everybody to come into his chocolate factory. And when they come into the chocolate factory, they are going to, the kids don't really know why they're going to the chocolate factory, but the entire world goes nuts trying to get this golden ticket to come into the chocolate great factory. Marketing. It's great marketing. It's great marketing. It's great marketing, but why are they going into the chocolate factory? I think, I think it's established that they're there to like take what? over the chocolate factory. Like, no, it's not. You win a chance. Is it? It isn't. In the it's movie? you'll get a though in the movie. It's you'll get a lifetime supply of chocolate. Oh well, then that's all the kids care about: lifetime supply of chocolate. But why do their parents care? Well, that's true. <laughs> anyway, so it's um, very true. Yeah, they're oddly excited about uh, good marketing. That's all it is. The theory that's out there that also <clears throat> that I subscribe to is well, actually, there's a couple theories. One is that he is the devil, and that this. Oh, sorry. The original theory out there is that he is a serial killer. And that he made the kids sign a contract and that he is killing them because every time they get through a certain certain level, there is every machine that they're riding on every ride has the exact number of seats per kid that's already there. So he knew that one kid would not make it past a certain level of the chocolate factory. <laughs> Willy Wonka is Jigsaw. 
<laughs> well, not exactly. It's more like Willy Wonka knew that one kid wouldn't pass. So every time he gets to the next level, when the boat comes up, there are only, I think, I think uh, there's five kids that go into the chocolate factory originally, but on the boat, there's only four seats. So he knew that one kid wasn't, wouldn't be there by the time it comes down to the, um, the soda, the soda, what is the thing called? The soda pop? Like, Oh, the fizzy. Car. The soda oh, pop car. The, oh yeah. 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 There's only three seats for, Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, the Oompa Loompas uh, are probably, they have a whole mechanic shop back there. They're just modifying the, you know. So I think this is a little different. And I think the reason why this is going on is not because he is a serial killer. I think it's because he's supposed to be God. So I think that the gates that they have to walk through are the pearly gates. I think that each one of these kids represents a mortal sin or a deadly sin, which is like gluttony, which is the first kid. There's a, uh, pride greed. or envy greed each kid represents a vanity uh, vanity or, is it vanity one of the sins i don't know if it's i don't one. know seven daily sins the, not whatever the like uh self-love or yeah. whatever that sin is <laughs> so each one of these kids represents one of the seven deadly sins even though there's only five kids and then each time one of the kids does not make it they are they are sent out of the chocolate factory the way you would be sent down out of heaven to another place and then the person who is confessed his sins to to uh Willy Wonka, which is Charlie, even though he did do something wrong, he confessed he did something wrong, and then he wins the prize, which is winning his winning the entire factory, which would be the getting into heaven. And, and they take the elevator to ascend to actual like heaven. Yeah, and they look down upon everybody else. Yeah. I think it's just a big metaphor for heaven. For the afterlife. Yeah. Being worthy of the afterlife. Yeah. Now I know that's very theological, but I think that's what they're going for. I I think that's sound. So any other thoughts? Yeah, I'd, I'd go with that. I mean, if you're a kid, what's your idea of heaven, right? It's got to be a chocolate factory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everything, you know, everything edible and sweet. Now, I think uh, we, Corey and I were talking about this earlier, and Corey thought it's possible that it, this would be the devil, that he's actually, instead of God, he's the devil. And every time some kid does something, he actually sends them down to hell. Or he's just the sort of caretaker of the of the afterlife, depending on sort of which theological, you know, thing you want to su subscribe to. Like he's Hades, he's whatever, where he's um, subjecting these people to the tortures for their uh, missteps. Not to mention that they, and every single kid, once they win the golden ticket, they're met by that creepy guy that works for him. Yeah, right. He, he's in their he's, ear. He's death. As soon right? as he, as soon as they, yeah. they, they get the ticket. Yeah. He's he's uh, the the cloaked, you know, sickle holding. Yeah, death. he's kind yeah, of absolutely. a creepy, creepy dude. Yeah. The, the only thing, like, I I like the through line that you you posited for him being God, and the sort of true of heart. But the only thing that throws me off of that is I cannot uh, accept the Oompa Loompas as angels. No, they're not the angels, <laughs> but he saved them. He did. He saved them he from the from the what? what I don't. Like? I don't know some island or something. So the island of of of, of Loompa Lo Land. Loompa. Yeah, Oompa Loompa Land with uh, <laughs> the spax swirlies and the the chim jammies. Yeah, the, I, whatever they're called. The the, the Oompa Loompas are uh, little demons. <laughs> <laughs> who who take pride in toiling uh no, they're 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 telling people like what was wrong with they, the person they, and why they weren't there they have a predetermined limerick about <laughs> uh you know why that little kid is wrong and how they met their death and stuff like they're enjoying that like that's their jam <laughs> 
I can't accept them as angels. But if they say, you know, you will you will live in happiness too, like the Upalupas do. So they're happy, dude. That's true. Maybe. Maybe if but, it is, if the chocolate factory is like the in between and it decides whether you're good or bad, you go out to hell or up to heaven. Maybe the Oompa Loompas are like the middling people. You know, you don't qualify for either. So you're just the mm. average people and you have to stay and work for for Willy Wonka. You know, like kind That's of like in good. the good place where it's like, is there a medium place? Chocolate factory yeah. is the medium place. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's why so, they're so happy every time someone dies because it's it's entertainment. They're like, haha, you're more evil than me. Well, and it's and it's fulfilled, right? Like in in somebody inputs and then we have like a resolve, like that we know where they're going now. Yeah. And then, so that would make Willy Wonka not necessarily God or the devil, it would make him what like Saint Peter? Is that the person you meet at the gates? Um, yeah. Okay. That was that for that theory. <laughs> All right. I think Pentax has a theory for us now. Yeah, it's it's not so much a theory as kind of headcanon, but I heard this the other day and I just can't really <laughs> I can't really shake it. And it's it's basically <laughs> in in Star Wars, the original Star Wars, when Luke goes back to his home and Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru have been killed, Boba Fett was the mercenary hired to go and take them out. Because if you in the movie you see, and one of the versions in the movie anyway, you see these like two charred bodies lying on the yeah. ground. Yeah, they they've been disintegrated, not shot by stormtrooper blasters. And then in Empire Strikes Back, Vader says to Boba Fett, "No disintegrations." So mm. they wanted to get this right, so they didn't just send Ooh. their stormtroopers. They hired Boba Fett to kill Luke's aunt and uncle. That's about all the evidence there is, but I just thought it's a fun little hit cannon. Now, he, he the one thing... Oh, sorry, go ahead. That was it. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing Short I don't remember is, was the the charred bodies, are they part of Lucas Films? How they added a bunch of shit is, in? This is what I can't... Yeah, this is what I can't remember. Like one of the versions when he goes back, there's two bodies lying on the on the steps of the house. I don't know. I'm sure some Star Wars guy will tell me. Um, but in one of the versions of the movie, there's two there's two bodies lying on the steps that Luke sees when he goes home. I have the original trilogy somewhere, and uh, but is that is VHS. that the like '97 release? No, I have like the original VHS, mm. like predates all that. Oh, but before so, the THX, yeah, before that remaster. No, when the first THX came out, before they had redone anything. Oh, so that 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 yeah, that is a remaster, but it's edited from the theatrical release. Yeah, but it's not the uh, yeah. it's not the um the all the all the animals that he added in in and Han still yeah. shoots first and yeah all that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's interesting. I I like that theory that uh, Boba Fett was more involved in the sort of universe in the, the background than than he actually was yeah i, yeah, I like he's him just a cool character he doesn't get he doesn't get much um screen time so people i think invent lots of mythology around uh boba fett but that's what i heard and it just it, it just ties him back that's cool i i love that fan theory uh thank you for for hanging out with us thank you for uh for sharing your fan theories and thank you for uh going in depth and sparring although i'm pretty sure you won our spar over the james bond the rock uh, I was made to look like a fool, like a fool. <laughs> we both were. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, that only proves how awesome your fan theory is and how much really you dug deep in there. And again, you know, like if you 
if you were interested in all listeners by any of this, go watch his video because it goes even more in depth than we were even able to hear. And it's awesome. And we, we thank you. If you want, you can share, uh, share your page, share any social media, um, you know, plug, plug, plug your stuff. Yeah. Plug it right now. <laughs> cool. Thanks guys. Yeah. No, thanks for having me on. I've had a great time. It's really cool to talk about fan theory, um, and all these other ones we've talked about and just, just have a chat. So yeah, it's, um, the YouTube channel is Pentex Productions, P-E-N-T-E-X. Um, you'll see a little cartoon penguin. Um, you'll either love it or hate it. So I'll leave that up to you. It's and so it's the fun. They're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whimsical touch. Um, <laughs> and then on Twitter, it's the same Pentex and then just P. So P-E-N-T-E-X-P on Twitter. But the YouTube channel is, has all the information there. Um, so yeah, go check it out. Hope you enjoy it. And yeah, thanks again, guys, for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Definitely, Absolutely. thanks for coming on. Uh, I loved your. You know, you got and uh, for anybody else that's um, that wants to check out his videos, he's got some other great videos out there. Superhero video was also great. I love that one uh, about movies oh, that are superheroes. The, that's the most polarizing one. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was kind that's, of the point. I, I knew it would touch some nerves, but uh, yeah. I liked it. I actually, I agree. I'm with glad it, you like so. it. Yeah, I agree cool. with that one. Yeah, I think I think we're all sort of uh, similarly wired uh, because, like, even like fixing Wonder Woman, <laughs> like. <laughs> all of all of the stuff, Re- really, really good stuff. Go and go and subscribe to his uh, his YouTube channel. Um, you know, let let the James Bond, uh, the Rock, lead you into a whole new world of of awesome video essays and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and let it go. It made me want to go watch the Rock again. Seriously, so yeah, you know, absolutely. I I, I wanted to watch all of those Bond films, but they're not. I would have to have purchased all of them. There's like. <laughs> Yeah, there's six whole, of them. A whole paywall. You mean you would have had to actually rent a movie? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of paying our bills, yeah. if you want to follow <laughs> us, <laughs> uh, you can listen to Switch the Envelope on pretty much any podcast platform. Uh, subscribe to us there. Leave us a review where applicable. Uh, more importantly, tell a friend. You know, share the show, and we'll build our our, uh, our Switch uh, uh, army. I don't know. Listener by listener. Sure. Uh, yeah, know. we'll call it that. We'll call yeah. it a switch army. Yeah. Switch army. That feels so aggressive. Though. Like, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that switch army. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're going to just give our... I'm, I'm just going to cut you off right there, and we're just going to say, please go and visit our social media at uh, Switch the Envelope on Instagram or at Switch Envelope on Twitter. Awesome. As always, go watch the movies, and we'll see you later, Switches. See you later, Switches. Thank you very much. Each episode mixed and produced by Jeff and Corey. Switch the Envelope was mixed at Studio 85 by Jeff. Switch the Envelope is a Riff Laugh production.